If you want more power, better vision, and a bulletproof mindset, then I would like to welcome you to CG Plus, Complete Games Online Player Development Center. Now, baseball and softball players of all ages and skill levels can access a multimedia experience providing education and instruction on your personal mobile platform. Rob Cruz has put together an online video portal, a remote hitting program, as well as a series of online hitting courses boasting a curriculum that features pitch recognition strategies, power, video analysis, mental skills, and then some. For more info, log on to www.cg.plus. That's www.cg.plus to find out how you can complete your game today. Welcome to the Transcending Sport Podcast with Rob Cruz, an audio experience bringing you interviews, conversations, and more from some of the most intriguing personalities in the sports world. And now, your host, Rob Cruz. We had our best two months. And then other coaches were like, yo, like, what do you do? I'm like, I, I'm like I'll, I'll show you the way. So we've even been doing like consulting and like doing some business and stuff too, which has been cool. But uh, yeah, man, I'm glad that we both were uh, prepared for this. And I think, you know, it's different with different parts of the country because some of the people that I've consulted that are like in the South or even in the Midwest, I'm like, look, um, your situation is different than our situation. Like we yeah. can't go out anywhere, <laughs> you know? Yeah. We're really, really a little bit more afraid than, than you guys are right now, you know what I'm saying? So, you know, you got to do it based on, you know, because there's like four or five different versions of America right now. Yeah. So it's not like it's just one thing and we, we're flipping on a switch and it's going to be this way, we're flipping a switch off, we're doing it that way. It's like, okay, I have to be able to adapt to what my people need right now. That might change in two weeks. <laughs> that yeah. might change in a month, but I got to continually adapt. So it's, it's just like sports, you know, if you don't adjust, you can't play at a high level. Absolutely. You don't have yeah, the ability to adjust and adapt. You cannot perform. And speaking and of speaking of adjusting and adapting, <laughs> that's why I got you on because I think you know you know you know. And we've been trying to do this for the longest time, man. I know, man. I, I, I'm glad that you were uh, pers persistent. And reached out again, man. I, yeah, I, I, when, when we first started talking, I was all over the place. I know, and so was I. And I, I, was, I was still trying to make it work, and I was like. Cause you know, Brett was like, yo, you gotta, I said, all right, all right, let me hit him up and see what's going on. Cause you know, I, matter of fact, I gotta, I gotta call Brett. But, um, so yeah, so, um, you're, we got Ian Markow, just for those who don't know, we got Ian Markow. He is the CEO of Markow Training Systems yep. and he specializes and we're gonna, we're gonna let him talk about what he, what he does and, and the importance of what he does and who he does it with and, and how we can benefit from his, from his, from his knowledge and, how much of a really great follow he is on social media because he really gives us the tools and resources for pretty much all sports. But today I want to talk about rotational, um, rotational athletes. Yeah. And I want to talk about, you know, what we need and, and how we need to get better in the area of uh, mobility and flexibility and range of motion and, and things of that nature and, and stretching and, and developing routines where our body is able to perform at its highest, its highest, its highest peak. So, um, if you could, just can you give us a little bit of information about like just kind of where you're from and, and how you got into what you got into? Absolutely. Yeah. So um, I'm originally, uh, I was born in Miami um, and I was raised in Palm Beach County. Um, after, uh, you know, high school, I went to the University of Central Florida in Orlando. Uh, a lot of my friends were, were good friends, but they weren't really, uh, let's say, pushing me. Uh, I think which is pretty common for people in college. Um, so after college, I decided to kind of take a leap of faith and go to New York City. I moved in with one of my best friends, um, who's you know one of my friends that was just kind of that guy you know who's got to be successful. So I was like, let me let me go learn from him and just kind of get that um, that push from him. Uh, I eventually fell into personal training, and I was super fortunate to really find my passion. And from there, it just all evolved. I ended up working at Goldman Sachs, uh, which is uh, you know one of the biggest banks in the world. They have a gym within their building. Yeah. Um, and then I eventually started working at a physical therapy clinic, which is really probably the best you know experience I had because I went from working in a commercial gym or even group fitness at a you know at a, at a bank to working in a physical therapy clinic where you know all of a sudden I got MMA athletes. I got volleyball soccer anything and everything whether it's an average or an athlete from post-surgery all the way to the elite level athletes 
Um, you know, and then from there, I actually got a job at Google where I was actually teaching Ken Stretch. Um, everything that you could possibly ask about Google is true. Um, unlimited muffins, the nap pods are real. Um, all, all the cool stuff. <laughs> the I, nap I mean, pods? Oh my gosh. <laughs> yeah. Like I legit go there in the morning and like work an hour, uh, eat breakfast for free, like a buffet with waffles and eggs and everything. And then just find a nap pod and just sleep for an hour. It was, it was, a, it was a wild life I was living at that point. That's great. Um, That's great. You know, and then I, I started working with a lot more athletes at that point. Um, if for, for this, this topic, um, Noah Syndergaard was probably one of the, the, definitely the biggest athlete that I worked with over the course of the year. Mm -hmm. um, and then from, from New York, I ended up doing a, a road trip from Miami to California. Uh, similar to how we were just talking in the beginning, I am business partners with my brother who's a photographer, videographer, so he does like all the content side of things and a lot of the marketing, so we're kind of a really good team in terms of, you know, spreading the, the business across. And I wanted to move back to Miami and live with him for at least a year because it's just so many things need to be automated from a business standpoint in terms of your ads, your, your marketing, um, your systems, and really getting that all up to par. So that's what we've been able to accomplish this, um, you know, this year since we moved back. And before we even moved in together, I did a trip where I, where I started in Miami. We rented a van, mm -hmm. um, you know, like a, a Pacifica. And we went from Miami to California and back um, over the course of uh, 10 weeks. And we taught workshops and classes along the way, which was just, you know, as you can imagine, an unbelievable experience. That's crazy, yeah. <laughs> yeah, man, it was, it was, it was so, so awesome. We, we plan to do it again. Um, we're actually going to do a Europe trip um, just like that, too. So, um, you know, it's all kind of come full circle. And now what I'm doing is I'm working with a lot of other coaches in terms of mentorship. Um, we have a course called Mobility Coach Plus where we really teach uh, other coaches exactly what we do. Um, I work with a lot of athletes one-on-one, -on -one, um, online, and uh, just anybody really. And in person, even though I don't have a lot of people, especially right now, um, I'm still training in person in Miami um, and even really South Florida because I, I will travel um, to a certain extent with, uh, with other people. But just really fortunate to have everything going on and uh, definitely thankful to be on this show with you. I'm glad you're on. So uh, I want to talk about baseball and what some of the common issues are. Uh, really big kind of baseball and softball with regards to pitching and, and hitting. Um, and I want to, I want you to kind of give me some insight or give us some insight on the mobility issues that you see on a day-to-day -day basis, you know, and what you do when you're working with baseball players and softball players and why those issues are, are actually issues and how do we identify them and so forth and so on. Absolutely. So the first, first and foremost, man, uh, one, the body is asymmetrical. So if you look at our organs, they're asymmetrical. Um, you know, just from even just the diaphragm um, from one side to the other, basically the, the muscle that's going to be uh, really our primary muscle involved in breathing. It, it's different from side to side. So whether you're an athlete or not, you're already off, you know, you're already asymmetrical. And then when we throw the repetition of something like pitching, um, something like hitting, I mean, that is just going to, to ignore that is, is foolish. So what I mean by that is we need to always have a thorough assessment, but you always have to have um, within that lens of the assessment that this person is going to be asymmetrical and what can we do to really offset that? Because what happens oftentimes is overuse injuries um, mm -hmm. where you're repeating the same pattern over and over again. And what you'll see with a lot of training is, okay, well, this is a rotation athlete. So when I train him, I'm going to have him rotate. I'm going to have him rotate nonstop. We're going to chop. We're going to, we're going to do med ball stuff. But if your whole entire training is you go from throwing a hundred pitches to throwing the med ball to chopping the cable, then you're just loading the same tissue over and over and over again, mm -hmm. which doesn't mean that they don't need to do those things in their training. It's just, if that's the only thing you're just repeatedly beating up the same thing without expanding their options to train other tissue. So that's where mobility training really comes in where instead of you having only this much shoulder 
or only this much hip rotation to play with, to experiment with, to actually train. If I can give you more range of motion that you own, more that you're strong in, it'll open up the different exercises we can do and it'll allow me to train different tissues so that when you go to throw your cutter, you have more options to do so and you're not just beating up that same line of tissue the whole entire time. The other thing is it really opens up so much control, you know, like the idea of like owning your wrist range of motion. I mean, you see some baseball players and their wrists are just like stuck. And it's like, how are you going to just go to the finest details of throwing your curveball when like you don't have any motion in your wrist at all? Mm -hmm. Or even worse, you don't have it in your shoulder. And then, you know, you see a lot of guys, one of the most common things that you'll see is in season people will lose internal rotation of the shoulder. So you think you're just keeping winding back, but coming forward and internally rotating like this is often limited mid-season. So what can we do in season to maintain that, to improve that? Um, you know, at the end of a season, if that player has maintained range of motion or gained range of motion, that is insane. That is something that you won't see often. But if you're doing that, that athlete's performing at a high level and the chances of them being injured is probably pretty low. Um, you know, in terms of my experience, like I said, when I was working with Noah, I mean, the, the injuries that he had that year when I was working with him were hand, foot, and mouth disease and a finger injury. And I was like, you got to be kidding me. Like, we're doing all this stuff. You're killing it. You're working so hard. And you come to me with a sickness, like, from a kid that you did an autograph with? Like, come on. So, like, you think about it like that, and there are ways to get ahead of it. There's no perfect world. But um, that's definitely the big picture of it is really using mobility training to expand range of motion, uh, open up movement options, and not repeatedly load the obvious ones like we talked about with the chops and the med ball stuff, which again, just to be clear, it doesn't mean you're not doing the med ball stuff, it just means that you gotta take that all into consideration. So I, we, we know that everything begins with, with an assessment, and, and I think baseball has really kind of figured out that we can't just jump into the batting cage and start flipping kids' balls in 2020 without doing a proper assessment usually happens with technology in terms of like the skill set is concerned, whether that's bat speed, exit velocity or whatever it is, just so we can get a snapshot of where that particular player actually is and how they're moving and how they're not moving and what they're able to create in terms of uh, metrics wise for their level, right? And on, and, on, and on the other side of it, there's the, there's the performance training side of it, which is where you are. Um, you have to do an assessment as well what I'm finding when I go to different parts of the country, there are different definitions of what an assessment is, what an what assessment will look like, and whether or not they actually need an assessment. So what does your assessment look like? When you're looking at you know, a rotational athlete or a baseball, softball player, and you bring them in, and, and the first thing you do, obviously, you're going to assess them. What does that assessment look like? Um, and, how do you, and what are you looking to get from that assessment? Yeah, so it all starts with communication, um, you know, like a classic survey. Um, if it's a kid or, or a youth athlete, I'm definitely talking to them more so than sending them a Google Doc. But for the most part, especially remote, I'm going to have a Google Doc. Um, because I think this is often overlooked is the idea, you know, you can get so caught up in your methodology and your application of it that you just don't think that you're actually working with a human being, which is so important to really note at first. Um, but the idea that like the kid or, or the athlete or the human being, whoever you're working with is probably going to tell you how they want to be motivated. They're going to tell you their injury history. They're going to tell you all of these details before you even get into watching the move. And sometimes that stuff is way more paramount than everything else, mm -hmm. especially the motivation. Like, I have certain questions that I might ask you in terms of like, oh, how do you usually like to learn? Like, oh, what, what subject do you like in school or something like that, where like the person's going to tell you how they want to learn. So mm -hmm. whereas some people might want me to do a coaching video, put some zero or put some circles on it, slow mo it and send it back to them, their visual boom, next thing I know, wow, home run, you know what I'm saying? But like other people might need me to talk them through it. We might need to do extra reps of it. So that's the first thing that I'm always going to start with is really going through a really detailed conversation with them um you know having a little bit of a survey and getting their history because mm -hmm. those things are really going to contribute to everything mm -hmm. and then from on, from there i'm videoing everything like we go through this really tedious long um assessment where you know I, i'm looking at how much range of motion they have in their shoulder 
Do they compensate through their spine and their, their shoulder blade first? Can they move their spine? Um, posture is really important to me. A lot of people in the mobility community um, will really downplay posture and say it's not important. I can I feel completely the opposite. Um, you know, especially with pitchers, you get a lot of pitchers that they come in and they got their one shoulder lower than the other. Well, what does that tell me? That tells me that they probably can't expand that side of their rib cage at all. So if their rib cage is compressed and I just have them get even stronger in their lat on that side, but whipping and throwing 90 miles an hour, I'm just further compressing the rib cage. Now I know I can't tell them not to throw, but what I can do is program certain things that are going to expand that side of their rib cage, that are going to maybe orientate the rib cage the other way, um, maybe strengthen their other side and their their other oblique to get them to yep. pull into that a little bit better. So there's a lot of different things like that. Um, hip rotation is absolutely essential for humans, but especially a rotational athlete. Mm -hmm. uh, you'll see a lot of people that are really um, smart in the way that they are a pitcher is, uh, you know, it's all about loading your back hip. We got a hip hinge, we got a hip hinge, we got a hip hinge. And you're, you're spot on. But if you can't rotate through that hip, are you really gonna be able to hip hinge? No, you're not, because that's the way the hip joint works. Whether you think you're hip hinging, flexing, extending, whatever it is, it's rotating in there. Mm -hmm. So rotation is the fundamental movement at the hip joint. So if you're not able to rotate, you're not gonna get into that hip like you want. Mm -hmm. And if you see the slow motion of a delivery, it's actually a wind up of rotation and an unwind of rotation. So that's really the first place that you're gonna start. And even something as simple as looking at the way that their feet work, you know, I, I was like just thinking about as you were yeah. talking, I was just gonna say, and I was saying to myself, okay, I mean, I need to ask him about ground force yeah. and, and the, the mechanics of the foot and how the foot interacts with the ground because I'm really kind of learning a lot about that right now yeah. and learning from my athletes, the, the people who are getting the most ground force and using and the relationship between the foot and the ground, particularly the rear foot. And, and both, both, but particularly yeah. specifically more so the, the rear foot, um, huge, huge, huge results with less effort. Absolutely. Yeah, so, I mean, if, um, if, if, if one joint can't do, do its job, it's gonna ask the next joint. So you see like mm -hmm. knee pain, you see, you know, um, all, all kinds of things that are gonna stem out from something not be, having the adequate ability to do its job. Um, but, you know, especially with, with, with baseball, um, you know, cleats, um, they might not be as bad as soccer or as bad as certain basketball shoes, but like if your foot is getting narrow and narrower, narrower as you get older, then that's a bad thing. Your foot's supposed to be wide. It's supposed to be a tripod. You should be able to distribute weight between three points of contact, heel, pinky toe, big toe. And something as simple as having the athlete or the, the, the especially kids like like when I have a kid, um, hopefully not anytime soon, but eventually 100%, uh, you know, I'm going to have them barefoot as much as possible. I'm going to keep shoes off of them. I'm going to want them to be moving their toes. So like something as simple as giving your athlete the, the idea that when they're brushing their teeth, they're standing on one foot. Um, they're brushing their teeth with their left hand too, because we talked about asymmetries, right? Someone's constantly using their right give their brain some representation of the left side. Um, and then even just lifting your big toe, you need to be able to lift your big toe to walk. When we talk about um, what's really contributing to the success of a human being or an athlete, it's really simple to put it on, on the idea of like a, a bar graph or even a pie chart. If you have this athlete that plays baseball for 5% of their life, but the rest of the 95% of their life, they're walking around like this, they have their head all the way forward, and they're they're wearing slides like Jordan slides like I used to wear all the time to go uh, play basketball before I put my Kobe's on right I would be wear those but I'm literally walking like you know terrible just like pulling my feet with me with no real gait mechanics so like those things are going to contribute just as much as your med ball drills if not way more so you really have to keep that bird's eye view of training so what are the going back to the gait and how we how walk, I think sometimes walking in our day-to-day -day is kind of like the warm-up for how we how we actually perform in sports. Yeah. So what are the best shoes we can buy and wear when we're not barefoot? And what are the worst shoes that we that we can that we that we can wear that take us away from optimal optimum performance and especially in that area? Yeah, so you can get crazy specific um, with it. For example, like I have really high arches, 
Um, so like I tend to put the weight on the outside of my feet. So like I'll load my pinky toe or the outside of my foot way more than I will the inside of my foot. If you had a flatter arch, you'd be the exact opposite. So you'd have to really think about that shoe wise. Um, and there would be different shoes that would contribute to that. The, the, but what, what we can say in general is the, the, the foot, like I said, is not supposed to be narrow. So if you're looking down at your shoe and it's purposely bringing your toes together, that's a huge issue right off of the bat. Your shoe should be wider. And I grew up in Nike. I grew up in Jordan. I love that stuff. Like, like I mentioned Kobe already, but you know, the, the front of your foot should be as wide as possible. Your feet are basically hands, you know? So like, if you thought about, I always say, if you're going to take someone to work, I'm working with someone who may be a banker or something like that. I take you to work. Um, you know, you're doing quantum analysis for stock, the stock market. And I put winter gloves on you. Like how many minutes are going to go by before you're ready? to kill me that you're wearing gloves at work right. you know what i mean like trying to type on your computer so like that's what our feet are really doing there there's so much feedback that they should be getting that they're not so being barefoot as much as possible is crucial like i said moving your toes even just doing piano so you'd lift all your toes you'd go pinky next one next one next one next one um learning how to lift them independently uh and, and your shoes really should be wide and barefoot minimalist is very tricky so like most people will say oh well you just want to be as close to the ground as possible but there's also a lot of bad things about that because if you have someone that has a really weak foot that's been used to being in foot coffins and then all of a sudden we throw them in a barefoot and go hey go walk around new york city for you know two hours they're gonna be in pain like they're gonna be hurting and then that might be the the initial spark that actually leads to knee pain or leads to an alteration in their gait to get away from that impact on their heel because their foot's not used to being that close so it, it, it's relatively complicated and definitely specific and that would be something else that i would put in my assessment um, but the main thing that you definitely want to do is absolutely make sure that your foot is as wide as possible and that is a great start flip-flops good or bad bad yeah, bad. Um, you could get like the uh, you could get like the Jesus sandals. I don't know if you know what I'm talking about. Where, like, you have, yeah, like, yeah, yeah, yeah. We're like, because basically you don't want think about like the classic like thong style. You don't want your your big toe to constantly be needing to contract with your second toe to hold that. Like that that would never happen. We just talked about the idea of your foot being wide. So if my big toe is supposed to be wide, and I put something in between and go, hey man, hold on to that real quick. All right. I'm doing is taking my foot all the way to being shorter and, and narrower. And that's going to alter the whole entire gait mechanics. That's why you see a lot of athletes that have bunions and they have the, those feet that come in and then it just collapses. If my feet collapse like this, my knee, my hip, everything up top is, I mean, they're going to have to compensate big time. Yeah, they compensate. So the foot as the initiator of the kinematic sequence from the ground up, uh, where, the, where the energy flows from the ground up, um, you know, we talk about a lot in, in hitting and throwing, that's that hip-shoulder separation or that hip-shoulder disassociation so that when we actually fire, we, we, get some, we get some stretch and we get some snap, right? Yep. But we also know that the beginning of that happens on the ground. How important, and can you speak about the importance of the big toe in initiating that movement and why what you said earlier about how we condition it throughout the day and how we walk and what kind of shoes we wear can contribute to how we actually perform? Absolutely, yeah. Um, uh, the big toes are crucial. Like I said, when you're walking, you, you have to toe off. So you're, you're, when you're walking, you should be landing on the outside of your foot first, and then it should roll in and then toe off. So if you watch, um, maybe think about mm. something, what, um, I don't know if you're familiar with uh, Adarian Barr, he's a sprint coach, basically talking about the inside edge. So the idea that when, if you see an elite sprinter, they're gonna spring off and they're gonna use their arch as a lever and actually explode off. And the same thing happens with walking, but it's just mm. in a non-explosive manner where it has to roll in and come off. So not only does that mean that the big toe needs to extend and be able to lift, that's why I'm saying, simple exercise anybody can start right now lift your big toe don't lift the other ones don't change your ankle okay so that's a step one for everybody but what we also need to consider is the midfoot has to rotate so like for me my arches are really high so for me to actually rotate and plant and toe off is actually difficult and i need my midfoot to be able to rotate to the floor and then to get to my big toe whereas someone with high arches might 
be landing on the inside of their foot and then they're stuck there too and they don't have that natural roll and then maybe their calves get bigger because they have to really calve it or their hip has to work extra hard so there's all kinds of implications all over the place mm -hmm. the other thing that you need to look is upstream where most people would think of the ankle as dorsiflexion and plantar flexion meaning you can get your knee over your toe if you think mm -hmm. about squatting yeah. um, but there's actually just as much if not more uh, need for inversion eversion so when I go to load my back hip I'm actually gonna need to have my ankle to tilt to maintain that or tilt which way ankle tilt which way um, so as you're coming into your pitch and you're coming back into it, it's going to need to evert and then it'll plantar flex and um, invert as you drive off of it to a certain extent. But what's going to need to happen is it's going to be a static thing where I have to keep my foot locked in. Like you talked about keeping that ground force contact. I'm going to need to be able to keep that eversion while my body increases the eversion because it's actually rotating and loading the hip and then coming off of it. So there's going to need to be a need for both of those. But what the real point is, is most people are thinking about, oh, I just need to keep stretching my calves to get my knee forward. But what you actually need is control to tilt this way, which will also create space in the joint because that's what's going to really allow for movement. Space is always a prerequisite to actual movement. So if we can create that space by tilting side to side all my all my dorsiflexion work will be even more important and it'll be even uh, more beneficial because there's actual room to go because if there isn't the space laterally with the tilting then I'm just gonna get stuck and that's why you see so many athletes that are trying to get dorsiflexion but they're just like yeah I feel a, a real hard stop in the front of my ankle that's good right and it's like yeah. no that's not good at all we right, don't want right. that <laughs> and it's probably because they don't have the room laterally with the tilting so have you ever heard of body track body no. track performance so body track performance is a company uh I, I don't know where they're from i don't know i don't even know if they're from america but anyway it's a golf company primarily and they came up with this really cool mat literally it's a it's a mat um a piece of carpet with sensors built into the into the carpet that sense what part of your foot is doing what and when and how much pressure so basically it gauges, it gauges and assesses and measures foot pressure, um, heel, midfoot and toe, how much, how much ground force you're creating and the speed of the release of that force from the ground into the rest of the body. So I gave them a call about a year and a half ago. I said, hey, you guys, cause they had a golf mat that was only 45 inches. So obviously for baseball players, I would need it to be longer. For pitchers, I would need it to be longer for the stride, for the stride length. Yeah. Um, and they said, well, we just, we only made seven for baseball. We made we made a 60, 60 inch one, and we shipped it out to about seven major league baseball teams. So I and this, so I immediately put my order in. So I was going to show you what it looks like. I happen to have it in this. So this is it's rolled up here. It's actually rolled up, and there's a sensor. There's all there's a this is this, this is connected to it. Obviously the wire, and that con nice. it connects to the app. Uh, it connects to the app to the iPad wirelessly, and then I'm able to actually get the ground force data for each foot in every single swing, every single throw, whatever I want. So I've been doing, I'm, I'm, in fact, I'm gonna send you some of the stuff that I've been able to get. Yeah, I'll be, 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 be interested to see what you think about it. And I'm, I'm working on creating protocols right now for pitchers um, uh, rear leg and how they drive off. And yeah. then also for the landing leg as well and how the front side receives that, that energy as well. So we're kind of working on that too with, you know, you, you, you've met TJ before, TJ Lopez. Absolutely, yeah. Yeah, so we, I'm working with him on that kind of stuff. And, you know, we use an opto jump. I'm not sure if you're familiar with that to just kind of track rhythm and uh, and balance and stuff like that. It's a pretty sophisticated device. And uh, he, he actually has my um, my opto jump system at his facility in, in Long Island here in New York. But, uh, yeah, so it's interesting stuff. So um, I wanted to uh, ask you this question because in my, in my um, travels, and I, as I watch players warm up, like I can know my athletes and know how I, I know how good they are, and I know what I know they can do, right? But we, this 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 surface issue. So I'll give you an example. Like if I'm in a batting cage with an athlete, and we're on turf, we're on carpet, we're on a, we're on a floor, it's, it's a solid foundation. You know, they're able to kind of drive off the ground. It's, it's hard. It's firm. I'm, I'm getting one number. I'm getting. I'm getting more power from that from that athlete. 
But as soon as they go outside and they're on the dirt, I don't get the same number. Yeah. Obviously, there's there's some surface issues because the dirt's a little bit softer. It's not as hard, so it's not gonna you're not gonna be able to get the same amount of um, transfer of energy. So, what could we do to train? other than training on dirt all the time. And I know a lot of facilities are bringing dirt in now, you know, so they're having like a little dirt batter's box or they have a little dirt mound and then the, then it's carpet. And then, you know, just so they can get, pitchers can actually train in spikes or turfs and get the feel of dirt because that's, that's a huge difference, you know? So what do you think about that? I think that like like what you said sounds like the most optimal solution to that. Um, I still think that there's also a lot of value in training on the hard surface and letting them be as stable as possible so that they can produce even more force mm -hmm. because essentially their nervous system and their muscles and, and their skeleton, if they can produce as much force as possible, I still think that there will be carryover to it when it becomes a little bit more of an unstable surface such as the dirt, mm -hmm. um, which is kind of like that classic um, you know, uh, kind of battle between certain people about people are standing on the post ball for everything, and then you know, <laughs> oh, is this functional about whatever? But but I, I think I think there's a place for both of those. Um, I even think that um, you know maybe it's not specific to that, but um, there's something called limit force elastics, where it's basically like, um, you know, you're on the BOSU ball, um, you get yourself in a squat position, and there's a very heavy band attached to the bottom of the BOSU. You take it in your hands, and you actually come up and create an isometric where your feet are pushing down into the BOSU, and you're creating as much force into the BOSU as possible against this crazy heavy band, like think like a rogue monster band, like one of the big heavy ones. Mm -hmm. So it's a high level isometric, and you can use it as like a post-action potentiation, where it's like you hold it for 10 seconds, and then you go do a heavy deadlift as explosive as possible. You go into a plyometric. Um, so I think that makes a lot of sense in that context, uh, because it is create max force, um, it's quick it's not a long duration thing which makes a lot of sense for the energy systems of baseball to be explosive in one second and then recharge um so i think that makes a lot of sense but like you said um you know just replicating the as specific as possible is probably the most optimal thing by having your facility allow you to have that or um you know again i i would maybe not so much in dirt um even though you could it would just be a matter of the parents maybe get a little pissed when they get home but uh you know being barefoot man like i i don't want to like hit, hit a ball off of me barefoot but if there's some way to control that where there was little risk or no risk um being barefoot at least maybe for example say take the bat and the ball out of the equation so that it's safe and the athlete's not going to get a sprained ankle by by foul balling off his, his barefoot or their barefoot um, um, maybe a, uh, you know, what I would have Noah do is we'd take his shoes off and then we'd go like skaters, right? So you're like nice, strong power lateral movement where everything goes through the foot so that when he puts his cleats on, the, the sensory feedback from his feet is so much stronger than as if they had no feedback at all from and his that, previous training. That's, you, you, hit, you hit the word you just used. Most people don't consider the foot to be a sensory organ. It's, it's they don't they don't think it's it's a hand it's your hands yeah it's got but some it's, of them it's so dense it's like one of the most dense in the whole body if not the most dense and it, it kind of has to be and I think we'll, oh, the, how yeah. we program it is, is is crucial for proper sequencing and balance and and, and faster movement uh, absolutely so it's funny when I coached professional softball I had an opportunity uh, to coach Jessica Mendoza I'm, I don't know if you know who she is but. She's um, she played she played for Team USA. She played at Stanford University. Nice. She's currently um, an announcer for the uh, for ESPN. Nice. So she does play by play um, on ESPN for baseball actually, and she she would take batting practice a lot barefooted. Literally, like take take both of shoes off, send socks, and just get in there and just just start hacking forever. And that was a big part of her training regimen, specifically when she felt like she was off. And I, that's the first time I'd ever seen anybody do that. Yeah. You know? I love so, it. That's interesting. Even um, even even like a dynamic warm-up. So you know how, you know, you're going to have this really prolonged world's greatest stretch, um, yep. you know, butt kicks, blah, blah, blah. I mean, why not have the athlete take off their cleats, take off their socks in the outfield? They're not going to get anything on their foot anyway. And then they can, when you, if you want to play it safe, 
put their shoe, their cleats right back on when they go to field and when they go to do the other stuff. Right. But like I said, like so many of these athletes are not even getting any time barefoot. So it's crazy. And then, you know, a lot, a lot of athletes are going to be the ones that are going to wear the Jordan 4s and Jordan 3s because they look good, but their feet are consistently getting worse and worse year after year. So anything we can do to offset that, especially if it's a safe application in the outfield, even for, like I said, even for the dynamic warm-up, you do 10 skaters, 10 skaters back. Like, I think over the course of a season, that would actually make a long run, especially in the representation of the brain and that foot uh, connection. What are the best shoes to wear? on a day-to-day if I'm going to the mall. I mean, if, if, if I'm going to the mall, I'm uh, forget about my swag right now. Like, obviously, swag's important to me. I, I got to have on, you know, the latest or what, latest and greatest. But if, yeah. if, forget about that part. I'm either going to run some errands, not really going to be around people. <laughs> what, 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 do I, what do I wear? Do I wear Asics? Yeah, so, do I wear Nikes? Do I wear a certain type of shoe? Running yeah, shoes? So- so, so there's a, there's a lot of different ones that are good. There's not just one brand. Um, mm-hmm. If your feet are strong and they're really prepared for it, I think like a Vivo or um, you know like a, um, I know Cressy has the uh, the New Balance Minimalist. So like that would be something that I would really suggest. Something that's as close to the ground as possible. And again, it's really the most important thing is that the foot is wide up front. The other thing is you want the shoe to be flexible. So if you go to your shoe and there's just no movement and it's just a rock. Like if you try to bend a Jordan 4, like there's no thing, nothing bending. <laughs> it's even so bad that if you bend a Jordan 4, it loses value because there's a crease on it. So like right, th- right. that alone just shows you that like one of the most popular shoes that somebody's going to want to wear are actually really the worst ones for them. Mm-hmm. So there should be some give. It should definitely be able to give you that, uh, that toe off. So there needs to be some bend to be able to get there. Mm-hmm. Um, zeros are, are, are good. Um, some of the New Balance ones are good. Um, it, like I said, if your feet are prepared for minimalists, I think minimalist is probably the best scenario. Um, and if they're not, you can get something in between where there's maybe a half an inch or, or, or something a little bit smaller um, where there is some cushion, but it's nowhere near, you know, like for example, basketball is different because you're on the court, there's all this jumping and stuff, but like, I don't want to wear LeBron's the rest of the day. Have you seen LeBron's feet? Now, don't get me wrong. Yeah. I wouldn't change LeBron's feet either because he's the greatest athlete, in my opinion, of our, of our time right now, or at least my time right now. So, you know, that that's something to consider. But, like, if there's a foam block this big between your foot and the ground, good luck with your brain really recognizing a lot. <laughs> that's good stuff. So what I'm noticing when I go – you know, around the country and I watch teams warm up. I, I want you to really help because I think my next goal, and, and I, it'd be great if we, me and you can collaborate on this uh, yes. as a side project. I want to create a better way. I want to help teams to create a better way to warm up. I believe that the warm up is so crucial to having your team ready to go for anyone. And most teams are not ready to go until the second game. <laughs> yeah. Like they're using the first game to be ready to play for the rest of the day, right? And I, I feel like muscle activation is not there. Um, speed, level of play, uh, getting the heart rate up to where it needs to be for, for anyone just isn't something that happens in most warmups. Um, the amount of focus that it takes to have that kind of warmup, you know, isn't there on the on, on the on the on the on the side of the coaches? So, what are some of the things, different things that you would suggest? Like, if, if I brought you to, um, to a to a tournament with, with with a team, how would you warm up a team? How would you warm up a, a baseball team or a softball team? What would you have them do? We get to the field. Aside from the throwing part, before they pick up a ball, nobody's going to pick up a ball first. Let's get the body ready. What would you do? I would, I would 100% start with breathing. So and that's how, how, the, long, how and how long would your warm up be? Um, but before they pick the ball de- up, yeah, before they pick up the I, ball. I, I guess it would depend on on you know like scheduling. Um, you know, I think different different situations. Like, if, if for for the sake of this argument, let's just say we're talking about the MLB, where like this, these guys are there. It's not a doubleheader. Like, we're not on a time crunch. Like, right, okay. this is the, your job. So let's just say that. So like, I'm probably gonna have somewhere between 40. 
45 minutes to an hour of a warm up, and the first 15 minutes of it, and that that's probably a smaller number, honestly, but the, the first 15 minutes could probably all be breathing. When we talked about the idea of the rib cage and, and the pelvis alignment and asymmetry throughout the body, um, if you can start an athlete off with uh, a better um, stacking of that rib cage and that pelvis, or expanding that area that's traditionally compressed from their sport. Uh, things are just going to almost melt into place. And some of the activation that you would need is either not needed or it will go that much further because the right stuff is working. Because positioning is gonna dictate which muscles function because that's just pure physics and biomechanics. Meaning if I have something that's in the correct position, my brain's naturally gonna fire the right muscle. It's not gonna go and use the weaker secondary muscle that is not really supposed to be working there, which does happen often. So my first part of my exercise is gonna definitely gonna be breathing. Not only is that gonna kind of drive more of a parasympathetic tone, which is gonna relax them into a better position and kind of down regulate some of the stuff that might be fired up from the bus, from the plane. Um, I think people don't really appreciate what athletes really have to go through in terms of travel. I mean, you know, like you're a 6'6 pitcher who's 250 pounds riding on, you know, a, a bus or, or even like a car. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like with your catcher that's sitting next to you, like, dude, like it's not comfortable all the time. Like, right, right. So so I think that's underappreciated, but it would start with breathing to reposition on um, the ribcage and the pelvis. Um, and that and, and that, that's what I think is missing in the major league level in a lot of ways is because what, what happens with athletes is, especially in team sports, is you have so many athletes, right? So you have 30 people on a team. Think football, you have 55. So like the idea of giving everybody an individual program is tough, especially when the strength staff might be underpaid. Um, there's only six of them compared to 55 players. So to me, if I could, and that's why I would really encourage um, professional athletes to really work with someone one-on-one, -on -one, is the idea to have that specific exercise. So they take responsibility. Yep. So maybe your pitcher knows, yo, I'm a left-handed pitcher. If I do the same stuff that Noah does, then we're not gonna be feeling the same results. So I need to make sure that I have my own repositioning drill that I do. And then from there, I would go into joint first. So I'm getting rotation to happen. Um, I'm probably gonna do some spine segmentation. So like a very slow cat cow to get my spine moving and try to articulate each part, start to control that and start to fire up all the mechanoreceptors that are responsible for moving that part of my spine mm -hmm. and then I would go into something a little bit more loaded maybe um uh, you know you have the, the J bands or the, the crossover symmetry mm -hmm. and I can get scaps going I can basically go through very similar stuff that I would for my um my uh, unloaded mobility work and maybe just hold isometric so maybe I hold an isometric in there maybe I hold an isometric and internal rotation maybe I get scaps moving a lot of reaching because most most athletes are stuck in this military posture of scapular retraction I think everybody in the whole entire world should be reaching and getting their shoulder blades to protract um, you see a lot of people with flat t-spines so like their their thoracic spine is flat where it should be rounded we're supposed to be biased in the flexion up top so you should have like a turtle shell upper back if you see like a, a conor mcgregor or some of the best athletes they're not only going to be long they're going to be strong in their midline with their rib cage down and their upper back is going to be round the scapula is concave and it's supposed to move on the rib cage, not get stuck because everything's flat and the scaph is round. Nice. So that would be a really big thing that I would work on restoring with most people. Um, because if that scap can't move, if you just think about like all this, the shoulder stuff that Cressy's preaching, right? All this, this upward rotation, you can't get upward rotation on a flat T-spine. Mm -hmm. And especially when people are looking at it and say, let me give you a, a, a more extension, like you're making it worse. So I would go from that loaded um, kind of maybe some band work to get that. And then I would have them super dynamic with multiple movement patterns. So like, like I said, skaters, maybe a reactive skater. So I'm jumping left, hitting the ground, boom, put force in the ground, come back the other way. Um, maybe some sort of pogo jumps, right? I'm firing up the ankle so I can get the ankle to be a little bit more elastic. Um, sprinting, like something that doesn't need to be so complicated. You wanna get someone's heart rate up, man, have them sprint 70%, 85%, but don't do it like most warm-ups are done, right? Because nobody reaches 90. They're like, their 70 is 50. Their 85 is 75. You know what I mean? Where it would, and, and that's just, and again, 
at a certain extent, that's on the player, right? You know, like you said, I'm sure some of your guys come in there and you're like, oh, that's 90, that's 95, that's 100. This guy's not messing around or she's ready to hit a home run today, you know? So they take that upon themselves. And then even just small stuff, you know, like I said, with the wrists, getting your elbows moving. So like a controlled articular rotation or a joint circle for your elbow to get that rotation there. There's a lot of people um, that are playing baseball that have so much tone in their forearms and their fingers that they can't extend their fingers and they definitely can't rotate their elbow very well. Mm -hmm. So something as simple as that, you, you could do anytime. Um, you know, we do it with stick mobility a lot, which is, um, you know, just like basically the orange stick. Uh, yeah. But eventually you could use a lighter bat. And if you just did rotations here for the elbow and you did this and pull back and just strengthened everything too. I mean, if you're a baseball player or a softball player and you don't have forearm muscles and, and, and protection around that elbow, which is one of the worst injuries you can get, it, it just doesn't make any sense to me. So yeah. the, the, all those things would be incorporated in my warm up for sure. And the neck, and the neck, I forgot to say that. Like mm -hmm. your neck should be able to rotate. I think especially with pitchers, as soon as a pitcher loses neck rotation, I, I, I can almost guarantee that it's a, per, uh, a precursor sign of something gonna go wrong down the chain. Mm -hmm. um, what's the difference between warming up and muscle activation semantics same thing to me really? because yeah. I, I feel like you know some people are um or maybe some people are defining okay are we warmed up yes but is my mus are my muscles actually activating or activated for the violent movements that i have to have like you talked about that violent movement that a pitcher or a hitter would have that's quick and short um so you just just semantics yeah, I mean, uh, a good warm up should 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 include recruiting the, the, the stuff that we're going to use. Um, okay. For example, um, like you said, a violent movement. What if I had someone hitting and one of my players is pushing the bat and one of them is at point of contact hitting a, a 20 second isometric, similar to how we talked about with the post action potentiation. Mm -hmm. it, an isometric is so safe. Um, it's it's static, which allows you to really take that time mentally to make sure you're recruiting this right stuff. So if I do a 10 or 15 second isometric, the first three seconds, do you feel your glute? No, I don't. Four second, now I do. Hold it for 10 seconds. Now we know we got that. You know what I mean? Now you're firing your hip. So we can do isometrics. That would be a huge part. I mean, that's a huge part of all of my training is isometric. Um, uh, work um, but yeah as long as if you're doing a good warm-up your good warm-up should include the right stuff being recruited in my opinion okay cool so um yeah so you, you mentioned that you, you you've um you spent some time when you were in new york city uh, first of all new york, new york city is not aside from well it's not very unlike miami these days miami has certain parts of it that almost look identical to New York City. Have you, have you noticed that when you went down there? Somewhat. Um, downtown's yeah. definitely growing. Um, they, he, <laughs> I'm sure you can appreciate this, but you know, New York City is just so one of a kind. I'm also, right now I miss it in a lot of ways too, so I'm a little partial in that way. But um, yeah, there's definitely some considerations that Miami downtown is similar, um, but it's also way different. And you know what, the reason that it's so different, whereas, um, you know, the, the Citibank building might look similar and maybe, uh, you know, uh, American Airlines Arena might look similar to the garden, minus all the homeless people and the terribleness that's actually right around my <laughs> Madison Square Garden. It's like the worst block in New York City. I used to work right there, so I'm like, I'm visualizing it right now, you know? Uh -huh. um, but uh, yeah, they're similar, but the people are so different, man. Like when people talk about Miami people, like it's just, it's such a thing. Like in terms of, um, you know, really prioritizing how you look, um, money, mm -hmm. superficial, like Lamborghinis drive by me every single day, where in New York, the richest people are just getting in black uh, ta taxis, you know what I mean? and Or being drove around in a, in a normal car. So mm -hmm. it, it's definitely different in a lot of ways, but there are some similarities. Mm -hmm. And in terms of the culture, uh, people get after in New York, man. You won't, that's what I love about New York. And one of the things that you, you, you just either get eaten alive or you eat, man. That's what New York City is all about. <laughs> and I, I love that. But in Miami, it's like, hey, I'll be there. All right, cool, man. And then 15, 20 minutes late, oh, sorry. You know, like, it's just, 
a lot of the things that you hear about Miami people are very much true. Um, no stereotype is always going to be true, but uh, let's just say my N equals one is that a lot of times it is true. Okay. Um, so your your work, you know, when you were in, in the city, in New York, you spent some time with uh, New York Mets pitcher Noah Syndergaard. Yep. Yep. And I know that he had, he had the injury. He had a really uh, career-threatening injury. He's had made, a lot of them. That made a lot of headlines. And when I first heard about you, I, I knew that you you guys and what you were doing at, with the uh, Marco Marco training systems were very instrumental in in helping him to to recover, uh, to make to make the recovery that he made. Are you able to talk about uh, what what the injury was, what caused it, and how you guys were able to treat that? Or yeah, for sure. So okay. so the first thing that I think is so important to note um, about uh, working with professional athletes is like, man, they there it's a team. Like, and I don't mean like buddy, buddy team. I mean, like they're working with 11, 12 different people. So mm -hmm. to say that one person was really instrumental is, is more or less a stretch. And I'm not saying that the other people weren't, I'm talking about myself, uh, talking about that pie chart analogy, yeah. meaning like what I did with him was such a small percentage of, uh, of everything. Um, do I think it helped? Of course. And I would do it all over again, the same way in, in a lot of ways, but um, you know, it's important to note that there's so many, you know, there's a massage therapist, there's this, and I, I would always preach that all these people should be connected. So when I first met Noah, you know, I had him send me Eric Cressy's program. Um, you know, Eric and I didn't exactly FaceTime and become best friends, you know, <laughs> he's a busy guy, but at the same time, I wanted to at least be on the same page to whatever extent I could with him, right? right he's right. a, he's a, he's a legend, hundred percent. And, and so, so were a lot of the other people. Um, I don't know if you know Mike Stella, um, he's, I don't, he's yeah, I know Mike <laughs> yeah, of course. So yeah, like, you know, yeah, yeah. you know, Mike was on the same tip as me where we would communicate and he'd say, hey, I just worked on Noah's elbow. We did mm -hmm. this. We did that. Um, um, what do you think about this? And I'd say, oh, well, I'm going to do this with him now that you did that. And it mm -hmm. was perfect. And it would just flow. And that's really okay. how things should work. That's how it should work. Yeah. But they don't work like that. And right. I think it's really <laughs> important to, before even starting the conversation to make sure that that's said. Uh, but anyway, you know, when I first met Noah, he, um, he was definitely limited in some ways and he definitely had had a, you know, he had a really good mindset because he, I, when I met Noah, he was coming off of um, the, the the season that he had benched and um, deadlifted 500 pounds or whatever it was, where it was just all about gaining more strength. And it, anybody that knows Noah or has seen the guy, he doesn't need more strength. I mean, there's a reason he's throwing that fast and it's not because he's weak, you know what okay. I mean? Yeah. So like what he did need to was improve his breathing patterns. He did need to work on his rib cage positioning big time because he's an extension based athlete in a lot of ways um, and, and there was a lot of things like that that needed a lot of work um, when the year that I worked with him the only things that that held him back were again he got he got sick with uh, you know hand foot and mouth disease and he actually had a finger injury which drove me insane to this day um, but we were able to really improve all of his, his metrics um, and like I said with the research what it shows is that you know predominantly athletes lose range of motion in season, um, whether it be because of the buses or the planes or the travel, mm -hmm. um, you know, those things really are tough. And I think they're undervalued in terms of um, the, the perspective from someone who's not an athlete. Mm -hmm. um, but he was able, we were able to really improve his hip rotation, his spine, um, really everything. He, he had little, little five to 15% gains on all mobility that he had. Um, and besides those two injuries, that, that really kept him, uh, kept him with a really great season, you know. Um, and it was such an amazing opportunity. I mean, and I'm sure you can relate to this with a lot of the athletes that you've worked with. But, um, you know, there's nothing like working with someone on Friday, going over, making sure that they, they're all, all on point. You know, he leaves and he's like, man, my hips feel so good. I watched him Saturday. I remember one day, first six innings, he almost broke a record for the Mets um, pitching. And I'm sitting there on my couch, just so hype. Like, it's the most hype thing I've ever seen in my life. You know yeah, what yeah, I mean? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, and, and, and knowing that I'm like 0.0005% of the, the equation, but I'm so happy to be that little slither of whatever it is. Right, right, right. And to, to have him pitch really well and then like, 
you know, text me after the game, be like, yo, that, that was good. We killed it today. I'm like, you killed it today, but that's great. You know, so like some of those moments were, were priceless, man. And, uh, and, and uh, you know, I'm really thankful for them. But um, after that, you know, I moved and uh, he actually started spending time and traveling more. So it's tough, man, you know, maintaining that relationship, maintaining that training, um, especially when you're one of 11 cooks in the kitchen. Uh, it was tough and it was definitely something that uh, hopefully I'll be able to improve upon and uh, you know maybe I'll end up working with him again in the future who knows especially now you know it's unfortunate that he actually um, you know had to get Tommy John and all and, and all that what are some of the things that you have available to people who would like to connect with you and maybe perhaps uh, kind of know a little bit about what you know whether it's a coach or a player what type of um, remote online programming if I don't live in Miami yeah. and I can't get to you, what are some of the things that you have in place? Yeah, so so if you're a coach or a trainer um, or therapist or anything in that realm, um, we have a course called Mobility Coach Plus. Um, and uh, it goes through everything between, you know, confronting your own biases, communication, mobility training, strength training, the integration of them both. Um, it, it, it's the best thing that we've ever created. And uh, I'm, I'm really blown away at the feedback that we've gotten on it. Um, it also comes with two coaching calls with me. So we start the, the call off by really going through what your goals are and how this thing's gonna change your life. And then we finish it off with the second call to show you how to apply everything that you learn. So if you're a coach or a trainer, that's, you just don't do anything else, just go right to that. That's definitely move and ask me questions if you have them. Um, but other than that, we also have a, um, uh, a one-on-one uh, -on -one online programming option, which is similar where we have three calls over the course of 12 weeks. I don't train anybody for less than 12 weeks. Um, I'm not the type of person that wants to do, you know, a week here, a week there. Like I'm all about putting my time on committing with someone. Right. If you're coming to me, you're coming to me knowing that biological change and actually changing something is going to take a long time mm -hmm. and you know it's going to take eight weeks for that to really start showing up and i don't even want to be around for eight weeks i want to be around for 12 when everything starts really taking off mm -hmm. so that's how that works and that's simply on our website on marcotrainingsystems.com you can just email me too um you know i'll give you all the links for that but that would be um that also comes with three calls week one week six and week 12 so similar to how you were saying like quick zoom t uh, talk to really check in oftentimes um, if I'm implementing something new for you, we'll actually do like a little mini session to kind of go over it and train like that. And then um, there's also a Kin Stretch Anywhere online program that we do, which is kind of our cheaper option, maybe for a student or, or something like that. Um, we just had someone who had a torn ACL from um, soccer. You know, they just finished their rehab and then they want to really kind of get ahead of some stuff. So they, they hit us up yesterday and we put them on that. So it's kind of a, the, the cheaper option than working out with me one-on-one -on -one, and it allows you to still be really successful. Um, and that's like classes like right in your living room. So you'll just turn it on, 60 minute class, I'm gonna work on hip rotation. By the time you, you leave the, the class, you, you feel what you're feeling. Um, and the, everything that we do, whether you're talking about the course, um, the Kin Stretch Anywhere or working with one-on-one, -on -one, it all comes with an assessment. Um, you're always going to start off with an assessment. With the Kin Stretch Anywhere one, you're doing it on your own. So you have a self-assessment uh, uh, tutorial where it says, hey, do this, take a screenshot here, take a screenshot here. And then you have, it's, it's so powerful, especially for an athlete to walk away from that day thinking, wow, this is what my left hip can do. Wow, this is what my right hip can do. Mm -hmm. I mean, there's just nothing better than that. So that, that's a huge factor in all of our stuff. We can get in touch with you how? What's the, what's the best way? Uh, DM me on Instagram, at Marco, um, Marco Training Systems, either one I'll answer. Um, you can email me, Marco at Gmail. Um, the website's just same thing, marcotrainingsystems.com. Any of those work. Um, you know, there's if you're looking for something free, like my YouTube is crazy, man. I mean, there's so much stuff on there. It's, it's it, it, you know, it's not going to have the same direction as if you were going to work with me, obviously, because I can't organize the whole YouTube channel for you. But yeah. there's some people that maybe aren't in the best financial situation right now. And if you needed a free resource, that YouTube is it's crazy, man. There's so much stuff on there. Okay, like, that's even, good stuff. Even like for, for what we're talking about right now. So like if you're a, a younger athlete or, or any athlete right now listening to this, especially as a rotational athlete, if you go on our YouTube channel, you'll see a, a free shoulder kin stretch class do that 
and and you'll know everything that we just talked about in this past uh you know hour in terms of like oh this is what he's talking about mm -hmm. and you'll see that it's not just stretching it's it's strength but it's very specific and you're going to learn a lot about yourself from just that one class mm -hmm. <clears throat> um that's good stuff so just for everybody out there if you go to uh, my website, which is www.complete.game forward slash podcast notes. Um, you will see a summary of everything that we talked about in today's podcast. And you will also get links with all the resources that we talked about and on that, on that same link. Um, so that's, again, that's complete.game forward slash podcast notes. And I'm Rob Cruz. This is Ian Markow. And the podcast is called Transcending Sports. Ian, I will give you the last word. I appreciate everyone listening. Thank you so much. Please don't, uh, please don't hesitate to reach out to either one of us. Um, definitely continue listening. Uh, I, I, I'm happy to have finally had the chance to sit down and meet with you. Um, from Brett, Stella, and uh, you know TJ, we, I, I've heard nothing but great things, and I'm glad that they're all very, very true. <laughs> Thank you. I appreciate it. Those are my boys, man. Those are my yes. ratatons, man. I mean, I, I, I learned so much. You know, I like, I like having a circle of people who have the ability to um, innovate in, in a lot of ways, you know, and really think outside of traditional ways of thinking and, and contribute something to sports and performance and how we, how we move forward and we, how we move the game forward. Yeah. Um, so, you know, that's why I try to keep people uh, like that around close as I, if I can um, and if we have to really get together you and I and try to figure out a yeah. way we, we can collaborate and do more because I feel like there's some real synergy um, between us and what yeah. you know how, these things that you're saying I'm like wow <laughs> this is good stuff